I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill. So glad to be here with good buddy, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Hello, everybody. We're glad that you're here, too. I think we're going to have a, a kicking podcast here. I think God is going to give us some rev and things are going to be good. I think so. I know last week we got a question from the dog pound, right? Yes, we did. That was awesome. The question was, what is a true disciple? Yeah. According to the Bible? Right. And we did our podcast on that, and we've yet to hear any feedback. We'd love to hear your feedback about what a true disciple is to you, you can easily just go to guardinggrace.com and you'll be at our webpage and you can post a comment there or from there you can take and get to our Facebook page and post your comments there where we've got quite the community of people. There, there's some good people with some good knowledge that every every 20 minutes somebody is saying something that God gave them to say and it's just nuggets of wisdom there, there's it goes off I think that webpage is blessed I, I think it edifies anybody who looks at it oh I I read it all the time I'm afraid I'm gonna claim it as my own thoughts one day and podcast it so yeah but we'd love some feedback on the question. We don't know whether to take a victory lap or hang our head in shame for failing to answer it yet. Yes. So so you give us that answer. Tell, tell us what we need to speak further about concerning a, a true disciple. We want to talk about it tonight, but we're, we're going to wait till we hear some feedback. I tell you what, feedback is what we thrive on and it's also what grows the Facebook page and the the podcast and we got someone that's working on our web page so that's going to help yeah, yeah. if you've seen the web page anything would help yeah on that and the Facebook page and we're trying to get all that synchronized and we're trying to learn our social media skills which we have none none yeah yeah but i am coming to realize that any any activity you do on our facebook page is called engagement and that's what the 
algorithms pick up on, how much engagement does a certain Facebook page have or produce. And that's what causes the the Facebook page to blossom inside of the the working mechanism, the matrix of the social media platform. So that that really would help to like it, dislike it, comment on it? Yes. Just that thumbs up or thumbs down? Yes. It's considered engagement? Yes, and it's considered helpful to Bill and I. So just to review last week's podcast, we had a question about what makes up a true disciple. And we tried to give you two definitions. One definition is what we think of in the 21st century as what a what the bottle Christian should be doing or what he looks like to be called the model Christian. And then we went to what Jesus said. This this is what a true disciple looks like. And one theme that I came away with is Jesus saying words like abide, remain, stand fast, rest, that we talked about. Poignant words. They are so important to remain in these teachings, abide in these teachings. He says it five or six different ways, but they all mean the same thing. And you see this theme in the Old Testament, one of the ones everyone's familiar with is Psalm 1, blessed, happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Not sure I got the order right. But his delight is in the teachings of the I am. And on that teaching, he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river, rivers of living water. Rivers of water is another synonym for teachings. It is? Yeah. So he should be like a tree planted by the water that bears its fruit in season. We learned that trials are considered seasons. Seasons. And they have a beginning and an end, and you can endure them through the teachings of the I Am by abiding. By abiding in them. By abiding in them. Like it says in First John, we need not that a man teach us anything, but we have the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit is real and not counterfeit, it teaches us to abide in him which means abide in Christ or abide in God or abide in the Father. It's just like what it says in John 17, maybe in about John 17, 19 or so, 17, 20. It, it says, but to those also who believed in me through their word, which is their word that Jesus gave to the disciples and the disciples passed that word, that teaching on to the next generation and the next generation. Now he's talking about 25 generations later that they would, people would still believe in Jesus through their words that God gave them. In other words, through Jesus speaking through 
the believer to a non-believer causes him to become a believer. And he says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are one, and you art in me, and I'm in you. They also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is always using terms that I'm in you, Father, meaning he's not going to use his own human effort. He's going to use the Father's effort. That's what it means to be in the Father. You're not in your own strength. You're in the Father's strength. And he says in that you would be me in me, meaning that you would be in me manifesting yourself in that he says that they would be one in us, that we would be depending on Jesus and the Father that is in us to do the Christian life for us. It's the whole dynamic of the new covenant where he said, I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And everybody from the least of them to the greatest of them will experience you, Father, you, Jesus. They will experience God from the least to the greatest. That's why in John 17, he says, to know God is eternal life. In other words, to experience God is eternal life. It's the manifestation of that eternal life coming through you, and you are experiencing the God of the universe. I mean, it's such a cool, beautiful thing. It's, it's just... It gets so missed because... It well, does. by me, I'm just going to speak for myself. Every time I saw that term, eternal life, it just meant that it's bad down here, but one day... I'll go to heaven. But it doesn't mean that at all. I mean, it can mean that, but most of the time it's not talking about that. Go ahead. The the whole Bible is a book of the here and now. Here and now. Right here here on planet Earth. Day to day, night to night, having joy, having deliverance from sin, as we, we learned last week. Having the ability to believe. You just read that in there that through I and them and the word they preached, the word that I gave them, they would believe. And we just did two podcasts ago. Jesus said, the work of God is that you believe. Paul says the same thing in Romans 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that you believe. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is unveiled through faith, his faithfulness, at ice, out Out of him, and into, into us. You. Yes. yes. The faith comes out of him. The gospel, the good news message comes out of him, and it's believed by you. And that's the work of God that allows you to believe this good news that not only did he die to pay for all your sins, but you're perfectly acceptable to God, and you have the power to overcome 
the sin, as we talked about last week, this inability to live a fulfilling, joyful, loving, unselfish life that you've always wanted to do, but you can't live the unselfish life because we're wrapped up in ourselves and we're not resting in his life. Yes. We're wrapped up in our own performance because the, the TV and the radio has caused us to think about our own in performance as if it was important to anybody. It's not. It's only what God does through us that counts for anything. That's why he said, abide in me and I abide in you. Abide in the vine and be the branches and let me bear fruit through you for if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. That means live in my power, not your human strength. Abiding in your human strength is the opposite of abiding in him, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God. All those that are in us, you abide in them by relying on them to do it through you, not relying on yourself. So you just read it, Steve, in John two twenty seven. Yes. We received an anointing. We need not that any man teach us. So here we go. Jesus teaching. But the teaching that the anointing teaches us is to remain in him or abide in him. And that's why Jesus in John 17 was saying, through my words, they will become believers. Through the words I gave to you, they're, they're... his words, they're talking about generations later, and his words are coming through us. We need not that a man teach us anything, but God speaking through us. He said, I'll give you the words to say. I will speak through you. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry about what you'll say when you come up to a king or anything, because it will be my father speaking through you. It's him who speaks through us. We need not that a man teach us, but we need the Holy Spirit that is in everybody to teach through everybody. We don't want to hear the human wisdom, which James says is from down below, and it's earthly, human, and even demonic. But he says, wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and full of goodness and righteous. That's what we want to hear, the wisdom from above, which means we want to hear from God speaking through Steve, as opposed to Steve spouting out the wisdom that he has, which is unbelievably limited compared to the wisdom that God speaks. And since I'm saying God is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is Lord in me, speaking through me, then you can kind of count on you're actually hearing God through me, not Steve. And this teaching is all through the Bible. Remember, it started with Abraham. Yes. The faithfulness of Christ, the faithfulness of God started in Genesis 15. 
Sure did. Where he says, fear not. Well, it says the word of the Lord, the word about that. of the I am. It wasn't that the same word in Hebrews 4? The word is alive and energetic and sharper than any double-edged sword. It, same, same thing. It's a person. Yes. He says the word of the I am came to Abram and he saw him. Yes. And he said, don't be afraid. No. I am your shield. I am your greatest reward. What are the two biggest things we fret about all day and all night? I'm going to get wiped out. I'm fearful. (laughs) Who's going to protect me? Who's with me? And I'm your great reward. Am I going to make it? Do I I have enough money? Yeah. Do I have enough money to get groceries? Mm -hmm. Do I have Mm -hmm. enough money to put gas in the car? Yes. He says, I am your shield. I am your great reward. 500 years later, at the beginning of Joshua, it says the Lord, the I am, came to Joshua and says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And then he says, he starts talking to him about the promised land. And and it sounds like something new, but it's this promise is 500 years old. And he says, be of good cheer, be courageous. I'm with you. Saints, the same thing. I'm with you. The I am is with you. He's in you. In that day, you will know that I am in you, Jesus said. I will never leave you or forsake you either. It's a little stronger than that. Even. I mm-hmm. will never, no, never leave you. I will never, no, never forsake you. That's, That's right. why you cannot, you can live without fear. Mm-hmm. That's how you can be courageous. They were not courageous to enter into the promised land 40 years earlier right they were not they were not Caleb and Joshua were but they had a double dose of the Holy Spirit to enable them to to enable them to the other 300,000 to maybe 3 million maybe 30,000 a lot of people yeah did not believe because they humanly had to try to muster up enough faith to believe in the invisible God that nobody can see is going to destroy these visible giant people that have a huge army with the human burden of having to produce the faith to please God so that you don't walk around in the desert for 40 years because they displease God so bad that he said, your whole generation is going to die before I let you into the promised land. These people aggravated me so bad by not believing in me that I'm going to make sure every last one of them dies before I let anybody into the promised land. And that is what it's like to have to rely on your human faith. And it's, I mean, look at what happened. You're, you're absolutely right. He swore in his anger that they would never enter his race. Rest. They had to believe, and they couldn't. Belief is another fruit of the Spirit. It, it has to be empowered by God to believe. 
he told Joshua to be courageous. Well, you can't be courageous if you don't believe the promises because mm-hmm. these were. this was not like, okay, I'm 5'10", and I got to fight another guy that's 5'10", and it's pretty close. These The odds were way against these people. Just looking at them by sights is there's no... No one is crazy enough to be that courageous. To fight an army that's twice as many people as you, your army? And it's, why was David able to work up the courage to fight Goliath? It was because he meditated on the teachings of the I Am. Didn't he say that in Psalm 1? Mm -hmm. He meditates day and night. And then when it came to fight, Goliath, everyone was afraid, fearful. David was courageous because he said the same thing. David said the same thing the Lord told Joshua, be courageous. David was courageous because he said God was with, God told Joshua to be courageous because he said, I am with you. Same thought. Jesus said in John 17, I am with you, I am in you, and we're one. So that brings great courage. Now David had just enough courage because he knew, he had a reference that when a bear attacked the flock, who did he say was with him? God. The God. The I am was with him. Would he have fought the bear if the I am wasn't with him? No, he would have given up on the lion and said, what a shame. I he, mean, he could have given up on that lamb and said, what a shame. Yeah, and he would have been smart to do so. Oh, it would have been suicide. It would have been suicide without God, without the power of God. So why could he be courageous? Because he knew the presence of the I Am was with him. Why can we be courageous? Why can we not worry about where we're going to get our next paycheck? Why do we not have to worry about that? Because we know we have all these promises that are given to us. That they're fulfilled in us. We, we've literally now have that spirit in us, and he strengthens us. And we can rest in his promises. Because all the promises of God are what? Yea and amen in Christ. Yes. Little King James there. Yeah. All the promises, no matter how many they are, it says they are yes and amen in Christ. That gives us this unbelievable courage and uh, unbelievable ability to rest as Jesus did when the storm was, when he was in the boat with the disciples and the storm was raging and Jesus was, what, resting and was asleep. And the disciples said, Actually, the one that said, cast your cares upon Jesus before he had the spirit. <laughs> yes. He said, the guy that said, cast your cares on Jesus. Don't you care about because us? Because he cares for you. His question was, don't you care for us? Yes. So, yes. Kind of funny. It is. It is. And the thing Peter found out that he could make a, a statement, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Now he could say that because he realized that he didn't have the courage he thought he had. No person does. I wouldn't have done any better. 
that's what I was thinking when you were saying that I, I would have said, don't you care for me either? Because I do it all the time. I, I have a bad day and I say, Lord, don't you care for me? I am no better. The only possible chance I have of, of doing any better is his spirit working through me to encourage me. And this worked out to our advantage because when Jesus restored Peter, he said, feed my sheep. Isn't that another synonym for teach them so that yes. they could abide in this teaching? Mm-hmm. It well, is. Well, he sure wasn't going to teach them that you need to clench your fist and believe in God and believe in and trust and have courage and not doubt or not as many times as he fell and denied Christ three times in, in one night. Peter, just like all of us, is a classic example of a basket case without the power of God. I mean, one minute Jesus is saying to Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my house. Yes. God was floored by what Peter said when it was the Spirit speaking through him. But then 60 seconds later, he says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter is now speaking the words of Peter, the wisdom of Peter. So here we have it. The whole purpose of the law was to engage your human effort and to show you that it would fail, that yes. it could never measure up. That's what he tells you not to forget. That was the whole purpose of the law to get you not to trust in your own human strength. In, in, in other words, the purpose of the law was to bring us to a point where we could actually learn the moral to the Bible, the moral to the story, which Jesus said in John 15, he said, Abide in me. Be the branches that I bear the fruit through. Abide in me and I abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do it. You can't get it accomplished. That's what the law taught us for 2,000 years. So we'd be able to accept the moral to the story is that we humanly speaking can't hold this planet together but god through us empowering us and in causing us to have the wisdom can hold this world together yeah so the law was a tutor it was a tutor to lead us to christ which is exactly what galatians says to lead us and lead us away from ourselves and yes. our own human determination yes that's why the writer of Hebrews says the word of God is alive and energetic and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides those thoughts of flesh and spirit. It divides bones and what was it? The Mero. life. Yeah. The life of the bone. It divides the bone and the life of the bone, which is the marrow. And it, it determines the, the thoughts and intents of the heart. So all those are the same things David said. Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That's the bones and the marrow. You need the life to do the walk, right? 
or stand in the way of sinners. Um, Peter was the one that took his stand on human determination and said, all these will deny you, but I will be with you. The word of God, the spirit of God is what discerns that and says, no, 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 Peter, you're not going to stand up for Jesus. You're going to rest in his protection for you, not stand up for him and be bold in your own human effort. So the teachings of God are what renew our mind to not depend on our human effort. And that is so important to have it in your mind that apart from him, you can do nothing. That, that's why when, when Jesus said, or God said, I won't share my glory with anybody, he's the one who gets the glory because he, the truth of the matter is that he's the one who does it all. God does not want glory because he wants glory. He wants glory because that's the realization that it has to be him doing the works of your hand. Like it says in Psalms, he does the works of our hands. When you're glorifying God, you're actually just telling the truth. You're just saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's God who made me breathe all day long and gave me oxygen to breathe and did the good deeds that you saw me do today. It's just the truth of the matter. That's why he can't share his glory with anybody else, because then you would think that it's not the truth of the matter, that somebody else who's getting glorified actually did something worthy of praise when only God does it. There is none who is good, no, not one, Romans 3. They have all turned away. They've all been disobedient. Only God alone is good. You know, there's an interesting verse in Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is uh, rebuking the Pharisees again. And he says, he says, you tithe on your mint and your cumin, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law like faith. So to hear Jesus tell it, the, the Pharisees outwardly tithe. They could, they could set apart, I think it's actually more than 10% that's another podcast but they could tithe on their their spices but it said they ignored the weightier matters of the law and the one he lists is faith faith is a weight is a considered a matter of the law and it's considered one of the top priorities of the law now how does that square when paul says in galatians 2 16 that knowing this that we are not justified by the works of the law but by our faith in Christ how does how can faith be a weightier matter of the law a weighty matter of the law a top priority that the law demanded that you have faith and then Paul say knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law well if faith is a mighty works of the law then we need to re-examine that Galatians 2.16. Maybe he's not, maybe Jesus is right. The work of God is that you believe, or the work of God is that you have faith in God. And you know that's exactly how it reads in the Greek? Of course you do. You're the one that showed it to me. (laughs) I'm nodding my head up and down 
because I just want you to keep going with what you're saying. It's, well, how it literally reads in the Greek that knowing this, that a man is not justified or declared righteous by the works of the law, but by not faith in Christ, it's there's not a preposition given. You have to get it from the context. But some of the translations, King James actually gets it right, mm-hmm. faith of Christ. Mm-hmm. Young's literal gets it right. The Net Bible, the New English translations, the one that took a bunch of scholars and said, this is how the Greek reads. This is how that's it should be good, translated. That's a good little Bible, man. That, yeah, it, it they, gets there. They put in 64,000 notes. And you know what the notes are on? Why they translated each word the way they did. It'll be a note about the word, and it'll tell you why they translated it. The faith of Jesus instead of the faith in Jesus. Because the faith in Jesus isn't there. The The Greek word E-N is not there. That's the where we get the English word. There isn't a preposition yeah. there. Yes. But there is, it's in a dative case, meaning it's the, it, it belongs to Christ. Mm-hmm. It's the object, mm-hmm. the direct object. So if faith is a weightier matter of the law and no one is going to be justified by works of the law, then the faith has to be from Christ. So the faith of, of Christ. Christ. And he says the same thing when you get to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by my faith in Christ. Well, no. If, if I'm dead. of Christ. There it is again. I the live by the faith of Christ is what it says. The faith of Christ in the King James. The net says the faithfulness of Christ. Yeah. Which makes sense if I've been crucified with, with Christ, Christ and no longer, longer live. And that's why in John six twenty nine he says, This is the work of God that you believe, because you live by the faith of Christ. The two thoughts are synonymous, <laughs> man. They they link up. So it is a work of God that allows you to have faith. It is a work of God that lets you rest. It is a work of God that gives you courage. It is a work of God that lets you trust in Him. It's a work of God that you believe, which Jesus said verbatim. The work of God God is is that that you you believe. believe. Praise God. That's why, Bill, uh, that's why in Colossians, yeah, okay, that's why in Colossians, just get a load of how this reads. I'm talking about Colossians 1, maybe starting in verse 7, and he says, just if you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant who is a faithful servant of Christ on your behalf, and he has also informed us of your love in the Spirit, not in your human determination, but in the Spirit, caused by the Spirit. He's informed us of your love in the Spirit. Then Paul goes on to say, for this reason, 
also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding in that I'm asking God that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the experiences of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He's saying, he's praying to God that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, that you would be a true disciple of God. I'm praying to God that you guys would do this. That's why up there in verse 3, he says, we give thanks to God our Father, always praying for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for the saints. He's thanking God for their faith and their love, their faith in Christ and their love. He thanks God that they believe in Christ because the work of God is that you believe in Christ. It's because of his energy, his work. That's why he's thanking God and he's learning that they their love and their faith was growing all through this region and that on and on it goes. It just keeps saying that they were constantly bearing fruit and increasing. But the idea that you can do good works and not bear fruit bears out this topic that we're on, that God does the work of our hands. If we do good works in our own human strength, it bears no fruit. That's what the Pharisees found now. That's what the Pharisees had to learn because they were doing the exemplary walk better than anybody else. Their life was a life of sacrifice. Shining example of what it means to be a good Christian. They wouldn't even take care of their parents because they said it's better for us to serve God than take care of our parents because we want to please God with our human determination. And Jesus said, your traditions have made the word of God of no effect. I, you're to take care of your parents because they need taken care of. That's what it means to serve in the spirit. And when, you, when you're serving in the spirit, you can discern today, I got to take care of my parents. Tomorrow I might be giving a ride to someone that doesn't have a car that needs to go to the store or a doctor's appointment. But it's living in the Spirit. And if it's done in the Spirit, the Spirit won't be burdened by these things. If it's done in human effort... It wears you out. It wears you out and you'll burn out. You'll burn out. I know any time I joined a, a prayer team one time, and I committed to go mm. every Monday, 5.30 in the morning. Oh, I was on that team, remember? I think you left as I, I went out. in. Yeah. yeah. How many times did you see an <laughs> empty room? Yeah, yeah. And you cannot imagine the guilt and shame I felt. Because before I started it, 
the, the person just beat us up and said, this is a prayer chain. It's a chain. And if there's a link missing in the chain, the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And Bill was the weak link. And I, I broke the chain every week. I had people depending on me getting yeah. <laughs> getting answers to prayer and stuff, and I didn't even we bother were to show such up. Young Christians back then, because I remember I was, Bill's not here. He's 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 broken the chain. How could he? And I'd puff myself up. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I, I didn't break the chain. Then we do the. Uh, I'm a true disciple, and Bill's not a true disciple. Those were the kind of thoughts we would have back then because of the theology that we had back then. We didn't know any better. We didn't know that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians is true when he says, what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why do you boast as though you haven't received it? If you've received the ability to wake up and be there on that prayer chain, you should say, thank God I got up this morning and made it to the prayer chain and not boast as if I did and Bill didn't, like I was doing. I was boasting. But I received power from on high. And you know what? When I was boasting, I was not storing up treasures in heaven. I, I was blind and needed salve for my eyes because I couldn't see that it was God doing it through me. And I was taking the credit for something that I was unworthy to take the credit for. Amen. So abiding in the teaching as we talked about in the being a true disciple is twofold. It is first one and most important because the law came before grace is to recognize your weakness, recognize your limitations, recognize your inability to please God. As Jesus said, everything I do pleases God. I only do things that please the father. I know Jesus could say that he, he did. And he did. He said, I know I'm pleasing to God. I can't say that. I'm not pleasing to God. But you are because of what he did, what he accomplished on the cross in him. That is true. That is true. Well yeah. Pleased. He right. is well pleased in, right. in him. Right. But My performance is not pleasing to God. No. And that's why it's so vitally important that you recognize your inability to do it. Because when you do, you're not going to put confidence in the flesh. Isn't that exactly what it says uh, in, in Galatians? We who put no confidence in the we flesh. We glory in Christ and put no confidence. Our Philippians. We, we what? We glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Who do we glory in? We glory in Christ Jesus. And who don't we put confidence in? ourselves, our flesh, our human effort. Why is this Bible always saying that? And God used a guy named Paul that said was probably the most qualified person to put confidence in his flesh. And he even said that. He, I've he, got more reason to put confidence in my flesh. I was a Jew of Jews, circumcised on the eighth day, and faultless as far as legalistic righteousness is concerned. But whatever was to my credit, I consider a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Why would you consider your things that you're strong in human 
effort a loss. Because if you start depending on the, those things, someone says, throw all this out. And you go, okay, I'm going to throw most of it out, but I'm going to keep a few things. Yeah. Paul said, no, I put no confidence in the flesh. If anyone has reason to put confidence in the flesh, it is I, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law, faultless. But whatever it was to my credit, I consider a loss. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the so passing the all-surpassing value of knowing or experiencing Christ. Christ, feeling his presence inside Same. of me. Is the most valuable will, thing on this planet. Let's, let's make that clear. That is where it's at. That is literally feeling heaven on earth to experiencing God working through you, which we can do, is to experience heaven on earth. And it is the most precious commodity. It is, that's why they said about the the, the lady who found the, the pearl in the field. The pearl was an example of the Holy Spirit. She could experience the Holy Spirit. She took that pearl and counted it very valuable. Great price. Yes. And so that's what Paul found out. He says, uh, I consider everything a loss compared to that surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. The value of knowing Christ or the value of experiencing Christ made even his strength. He says, I consider them, the Greeks have an S word too. Yeah, yeah, I know. It it, it really is a a Greek cursed word. (laughs) He says, I consider them. We call it dung. Dung, rubbish. Yeah, those are polite ways of saying what he actually, what, what, the word scubalon. Scubalon, yeah. Yeah, what he actually said. You can look scubalon I consider up. everything a loss, not just the, the good thing, the bad things, but everything, the good thing, a loss compared to the surpassing value of experience Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things and consider them scubalon that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that's derived from the law, but the righteousness that comes from the faith of Christ. You see, we're also redundant because the Bible itself is redundant. Paul just keeps saying on and on, it's the righteousness of Christ, it's the faithfulness of Christ. I don't want to be found in my own legalistic righteousness. I want to be found in him. I want to be in him on the day when he comes back. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law or derived from human effort. Derived from human effort. I don't want to be thought of as the source of good. That's why Paul said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my human nature. The wishing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. That, that's Romans 17, by the way, and then we were just, Bill was just quoting Philippians. Three. Yep, three. Just so you know where the verses were. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's what I say too, Bill. I, I think probably rambled enough. I, I think so. I believe all these fragmented thoughts that we 
spoke about tonight add up to a pretty coherent thought, actually. When the spirit kicks in and ties them together. Yeah. I believe yeah. you're right. Yeah. I think we, we just spoke a little bit about this and a little bit about that. And I think it's up to the Holy Spirit to put it all together to, to make an actual message. Why don't we go? You want to go ahead and pray that out? Sure, sure. Yeah. Father God, I hope that you tie all these things together because in you all things are held together like it says in in Colossians 1.15 and following that it's in you that everything is held together. Father, hold the message together. Make people get understanding from the podcast tonight. There was plenty of good nuggets in there for us to, to chew on. So allow us to chew on them and realize that that fruit is good fruit. That is good fruit because it was talking about your fruit. That's all we ever talked about tonight was your fruit, Father. So make everybody realize that we just spoke about you and that all the glory went to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Good night, everyone. We love you. Love you guys. Good night.